Good morning, Women of Strength. It is Women of Strength Wednesday, and let me tell you, I couldn't be happier to say that. I love that alliteration, like Women of Strength Wednesday. I, I don't know if that's exactly an alliteration, but it feels really cool to me. Women of Strength <laughs> Wednesday. No matter what day you're listening to this on, this podcast was released on Wednesday, and so you can proudly be a part of Women of Strength Wednesday. And we have a really, really cool cool, cool story to share with you today. We have Catherine with us and she has five kids. She had three cesareans and then two VBACs. Her first VBAC was um, kind of a traumatic and really hard experience for her. And so then her second VBAC after three cesareans was an unassi- like a planned unassisted birth. And so we're going to talk about all of those things. We're going to talk about how, when you might need to consider unassisted birth and how to do that safely Although we always recommend first, if you can possibly find a supportive provider to support you in your VBAC, we always recommend that first, but we realize that that's not possible in every area. And so we want to talk about it instead of going into unassisted birth um, irresponsibly. Let's talk about options. We'll go over the risks. We'll talk about how to do it responsibly if you find yourself um, in that position. And yeah, Catherine's going to share her story with us. But before we share her story. And before we get to meet sweet Catherine, Megan has a review of the week for us. Yes, I do. And I was scrolling through like kind of reading and I was like, Ooh, I totally want to share this one. And then we kind of like to show like who it's from. And I scrolled over and guess who it's from. Who? It's from Paige. Oh, our Paige. Yeah. So yeah, I'm excited to read this. So this, the topic or the subject is best birth podcast in all the land. (laughs) And I love that. I was like, that was the cutest. It says the VBAC link is the, in all capitals, most empowering space on the internet. The birth prep content combined with the safe, beautiful sisterhood and support is truly unmatched anywhere else. I have prepped twice for a VBAC, once before the VBAC link existed and the other after the other having podcasts in my ear multiple times a day, every day during my pregnancy. The transformation I was able to have physically from doing both body work, the both the body work they recommended, as well as in my heart and soul has changed me forever. Julie and Megan became your virtual, become your virtual doulas. They hold space for your story and stay with you every step of the way. I can't express enough what a, uh, oh my gosh, what a catalyst <laughs> their podcast was for me in finding my strength, finding my voice, listening to my intuition, and having the confidence to completely throw myself into a journey without a guaranteed outcome. I didn't get my V back or my V back after two C sections, but my V back link gave me so much more than the natural birth I hoped for. Forever and ever grateful for these two women, for their hearts, for their mission, for their safe and uplifting community in a world that has never needed it more. Like that gave me chills. Paige, you're the best. Seriously. She's transcribing this. As you transcribe, can you say, I am the best. <laughs> Give yourself a high five from us because we yes. love that review. And oh. I just, I'm going to be, ex- 
I would just wish I could be a fly on the wall when you're transcribing this episode so I could see your reaction. I know. <laughs> it's reading your podcast beautiful. And how much we loved it. Yes, All and we right. love reviews. So if you haven't yet, please read a um, drop a review. We have tons of podcasts that we have to record, and we love to re- read recordings or um, podcasts on each recording. So leave us a review no matter where it is just drop it and even if it's just a message message us and say put this on your review we would love it we just read one of those the other day yes (laughs) we did an email review so we never share email or instant messengers or direct messages without asking permission first but if you leave a review on the apple Podcasts or google Podcasts or google google just regular old google um it's free game and we're going to, so you're probably going to get your review read on the podcast one day. So we're really excited about that. The warm and fuzzies really keep us going. And we are grateful for our suit page for giving us that wonderful mm-hmm. review. Mm-hmm. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right. All right. Now it is time for Catherine. And we are really, really, really excited for her and to share her experiences with us. And she lives in Georgia and in Georgia and other states in the South and like Florida and Louisiana and Alabama, the cesarean rates are really high. The VBAC rates are really, really low. And it's hard to find a truly supportive VBAC provider. There are a few gems here and there, but you're a lot more limited in your options there than you would be in some other parts of the areas just because of um, legal guidelines and VBAC policies and like de facto VBAC bans where like the hospital will allow VBAC, but no providers will support you through a VBAC or they're really like barely tolerant at best. And so Catherine's going to share her journey with us going through navigating through all of that in the South. And then she's going to talk about her two VBACs after three cesareans, one in hospital and one unassisted. And yeah, before I just start rambling on anymore, I am going to turn it over to Catherine. (laughs) Okay. I do want to add something. So I am in Georgia currently, but I was born in Virginia where I had my first two kids and my husband's military. So we moved to California. We had our third and then our last two were in Georgia. So this is going to be like kind of all over the place. Um, You'll fit right in. So (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Um, My first two, uh, I was 17 turning 18 with my first and you know, like a lot of people on, on, you know, the VBAC Link podcast talk about is, you know, at that age, you don't know a lot. No one tells you anything and you kind of just think about the movies and you think, oh, it's just going to happen like this. And you don't realize that there's so much that goes into it. So where my story goes is I didn't actually see a provider until I was 19 weeks, found out instantly we were having a girl, uh, had my first like obstetric abuse type 
thing where a doctor called me stupid because I didn't want to get the genetic testing done. Fast forward, you know, towards Christmas time when I was, I think, 36 weeks, I ended up moving back home because I was in college at the time. And uh, I moved back home and I switched to a practice that was well known around us. And, you know, everyone heard good things. I was born at the hospital, you know, all the classic stuff. I wanted to see as many providers as I could, but they kept scheduling me with the same lady. My daughter was breech all the time, essentially, uh, every appointment she was, but I kept telling them that um, she would flip at night. Like I felt it. I knew she was flipping like every night. And then for some reason, my morning appointment, she would be butt down again. And uh, so at my 38 week appointment, I remember talking with the doctor and I really didn't like this lady, but you know, that's put aside. (laughs) Um, She told me that uh, I could have an ECV, but I asked her, you know, what was her honest opinion on it? Of course, she gave me her honest opinion, which is that it's really risky and it might end up in a C-section anyway. So that being said, my mom had three C-sections. I'm her VBAC baby, but because of her traumatic experience, she ended up having more C-sections. And, you know, all I was told is, oh, just have the C-section. It's okay. I showed up at 39 and 4 to the hospital, you know, scheduled cesarean. They didn't check her position. We had the C-section. And the one of the things I can clearly remember is the doctor saying this baby isn't breech. And so, you know, there's that. Um, had an unnecessary C-section. Didn't know I could ask for an ultrasound. Didn't know it was uh, supposed to be done. I just thought they know what they're doing. And recovery for that was really easy, you know, nothing traumatic. I didn't even really think about the trauma of it until years later. Uh, My second C-section was uh, when I was 20, I think, right before I turned 21. It was with my son, normal pregnancy. Everything was great. Wanted to be back, but didn't know a lot, you know, and my mom, you know, constantly in my ear about how traumatic her thing was. I still wanted it, you know. And I got to my 39-week appointment, and I was still high and closed, still didn't know a lot about birth. And I remember asking if I could go another week, and they were perfectly fine with it. And then for some reason, they ended up calling me that night with C-section dates for that week. And my my then-boyfriend, now-husband, was going back to school, and I didn't want to do it by myself. So at 40 weeks exactly, we had another C-section, probably the best C-section I've ever had. They made me feel like a person and not like, you know, someone just laying there on a table. The anesthesiologist got like awesome pictures of my son. Like it was just a really good experience. Recovery was rough, but, you know, I feel like, I guess, I don't know. It it, it just came and like went, you know, I was normal, kind of rough. I remember getting shots that like made my shoulders, like, I don't know how they did it. It just made my shoulders really stiff. So the first week of my son's life was rough because I couldn't really pick him up. But going past that, my next C-section was uh, when I was 23, I think. It was 2016, so I think I was, no, 22. I don't know. (laughs) But so uh, with him, I really wanted to be back after two cesareans. I was dead set on it. It was going to happen, traveled 45 minutes to a provider who backed me up, didn't talk about C-sections until... Well, you know, she wasn't supposed to talk about C-section until 42 weeks, but we ended up hitting a speed bump at 40 weeks. But before that, at 37 weeks, he flipped a breach. 38, he flipped back on his own. And then at 40 weeks, he had like severe decreased fetal movement. And our appointment came and 
we tried to do a non-stress test and he was really non-reactive on it. And we had a serious talk about, I guess, what we should do and how we should proceed. And I was really scared because even though he had a heartbeat and he was doing fine, he wasn't moving like he was supposed to. And I just decided that a C-section would probably be best. We had it the next day at 12. He was born perfectly fine. He had a double nuchal cord, which, you know, that's, it sounds scary, but knowing that it happens in, I think, 30% of births, I think they said, kind of makes it seem like not as bad and that it's normal. But so, yeah, that happened, was, had a really bad recovery, uh, postpartum depression. And I remember at my six week, check up my doctor who did my c-section was really supportive of me and she told me that the day before she had had a v-back after three cesareans she assisted one and i thought that was really cool because she was essentially telling me like there's still hope now we're in california at this time and we're about to move to georgia i met a lady who was a doula who had a home birth after three cesareans and we just somehow met out of coincidence <laughs> and she told me in Georgia about a well-known doctor there and so I was really excited to find out we'd only be like two hours away from him and we move and unexpectedly get pregnant like almost immediately as we move <laughs> and so thus the panic uh, set in. I decided that I was tired of being I guess uh, ignorant to birth and what can happen and how it works and things like that. So I took a birth class. It was a really good one. It was the Bradley method birth class. And that, uh, ended up being probably one of the best decisions I ever made. Uh, learned a lot, uh, learned coping techniques. And then I spent a lot of my time healing my past traumas. So working on the fact that I have to forgive myself for things I didn't know and for things that were always said to me and that I just kept believing. And, you know, you know better, you do better. So had my provider, had really good support. We, you know, we were on top of things, had a really healthy pregnancy until 35 weeks. At 35 weeks, I ended up having a high blood pressure and like my swelling was kind of out of control and we had to have like a serious talk about how we were going to proceed because he couldn't induce me because of the hospital even though it was like a medical thing and we decided on a 24-hour protein and we did that and it came back that was like just above the line for uh, I guess what they diagnose as free and from there, we chose to do weekly monitoring, so BPP, NST, and at 49 weeks, my son flipped to breach, and that was the biggest shocker of my life. I cried and cried and cried and got through the weekend and then, you know, just decided it's going to happen as it's going to because my provider wasn't pushing me. He was breach supportive. You know, it's, it was like everything was there. And even when we were talking about our options, ECV was still an option, even though I was like 39 weeks and I had semi like on the lower end of fluid and I declined that. I just knew he would flip back on his own. So I decided to wait. And at 40 weeks, he was back head down to everyone's amazement. <laughs> and then after that, essentially 41 weeks came and went, 42 weeks came and we had to have another serious talk about how are we going to proceed? Did I want to just settle for a C-section? Did 
because nothing was happening. I didn't do cervical checks at all for this pregnancy because in the past pregnancies, they just like made me feel really defeated because nothing was happening. No effacement, nothing. And he asked if I wanted one and I told him no. Uh, he asked if I want to like membrane sweep and I told him no because that goes with having a cervical check too. And so we decided no more appointments because at that point it was sort of like I was meeting a goal each week. Every single week I was just meeting a goal. So we said no more appointments. And on that day had my NST. I swore I was having contractions, but none of them were picked up on the NST. Drove home, woke up the next morning. I was 42 and one at that point. And I cried my eyes out because nothing was happening. And I remember telling myself, you know, I should just do C-section on Monday. On Monday, I'm just going to call. I'm just going to get it over with. I can't do this anymore. I remember I ate a pint of ice cream. I folded some clothes. And this is like at four in the morning. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, me and my husband, you know, did our thing. And I took a nap and I woke up in labor. (laughs) So from there, I did... 19 hours out of the hospital. We labored at home, I think, for a little, or, mm, 11 or 12 hours, and then we moved to Atlanta. So we had to drive for two hours, made one pit stop because I had to go to the bathroom. And then we got there to the hotel, spent five to seven hours there. That's where our doula met us. And I remember the deciding moment for us going to the hospital was my husband, I had just woken up from like a nap. Like, I guess I passed out and I like in the bathroom, sitting on toilet, best place to labor ever. And my husband and my doula, I can hear them talking. And he's like, when do we go to the hospital? (laughs) And she was like, oh, I guess it's whenever she wants to. (laughs) And I really didn't want to. I honestly didn't even want to go to Atlanta. I wanted to stay home. I really didn't. I was, I don't know. I guess I was afraid or I was just comfortable or something. And we go to the hospital when I get there, I was seven centimeters, negative two station, and like my water was bulging. And I remember being in so much shock because I didn't think anything was going on. <laughs> I was totally in denial that I was in labor, even even though like it was really hard to get through. <laughs> and we ran into a couple of bad nurses. The first ones that we met were awesome, but uh, the nurses that when shift change came was rough. But I'm not going to go into that too much. Yeah, essentially from there, it took us five hours to go from seven to 10 because I assume he was posterior. No one ever actually said that, but I was on my back a lot because I was really tired. This was like going into 25 hours of labor. And I remember the nurse looked at me and she asked if I wanted fentanyl. Mind you, I had no idea what that was. And the way it was advertised to me was, oh, just take the edge off. And you know, that could mean anything, but, you know, my tired self took it. And from there, I remember passing out like multiple times because I was so exhausted. That was part of where a lot of my trauma came from because I felt like I was really out of control. I could still feel all the pain, but I couldn't control like or focus through anything anymore. It was kind of like the room was spinning and I would like pass out, wake up to like pushing and it was bad. (laughs) So we, I had a cervical lip. And we pushed that over the baby's head. And then we did two more rounds of pushes and it was coach pushing, not really my favorite thing, but I guess I needed it because I couldn't control anything anyways. And I think by the third set, it was like the first push did nothing. The second push got his head out and the third push, you know, got him out. 
um, and I suffered a second degree tear. Recovery wasn't terrible. It was definitely way better than a C-section, but it did, you know, it took me, I think, a good eight weeks to feel anywhere close to back to normal. And then after that, I kind of sat with myself and had to figure out, like, how to process everything that had just happened. And I noticed that the more I talked about it, the more I cried because it was just hard to deal with like everything that happened. Uh, So we ended up getting pregnant again, father's day of 2019. We ended up losing that baby. And then we immediately got pregnant with our, our son, Logan. So that pregnancy, I tried to stay with people closer to the area because I didn't want to travel again. And I guess my experience, I just, I couldn't do it again. I didn't want to go back there. And it wasn't even like the provider, it was the hospital. And so I didn't want to go back there, but I tried to look around and essentially I already knew most of the places around here were going to tell me no. I knew that for a fact. I even looked into a midwife, but the backup that she wanted doesn't support VBAC for herself. And I just decided that wasn't for me and I didn't want to go with that midwife. So I ended up at a teaching hospital and, you know, they had midwives there. They were just starting it and I was really excited and kept hitting dead ends with them because they didn't, you know, they follow ACOG guidelines and ACOG doesn't have a stance on VBAC after three cesareans. So they kept saying no, even though I'd already had one. Then From there, I decided reluctantly to go back to the old place. And I was like, maybe it'll be different this time. So I went back and I, you know, met a new midwife who sort of like in my first appointment with her shamed me for everything that I had went through with my son. Like the fact that I didn't like the fact that we chose weekly monitoring instead of just getting a C-section. And she was like, well, it's really dangerous. You shouldn't have done that because it could have changed at any second to which, you know, we planned for that. I would have just gone to a hospital near me and just gotten the C-section. It wasn't like, you know, I was all or nothing. And I didn't really feel comfortable anymore. And then when I finally, you know, got to see the doctor for the first time, the one that was so supportive, it was, it was like, I didn't really like the answer he gave me when I talked to him about how to myself from the nurse side of going to the hospital because obviously you can fire your nurses sure but it doesn't mean your next nurse is going to be someone that supports your decision either and in that moment where I was so panicky and I needed someone to be calm it was like I felt like they were yelling at me because I couldn't like I don't know I was really panicky and it just felt like they were yelling at me instead of going hey calm down you know and talking me through what was going on So when he had said to me that, like, well, you just need to use your voice more, I was like, oh, well, that's not what I wanted from you. I wanted you to tell me, like, okay, we can try this this time or give me, like, actual ways to try to work on what was going on. And it sort of sat with me for a while. And I remember going to my ICANN meeting and talking to the leader there, and she was really she was really somebody that like helped me with my first VBAC after three. And this time around, I just told her that I couldn't do it. And I was really leaning towards unassisted and it was like calling to me. Like I felt it in my heart that I had to do it. Like everything with my first uh, VBAC after three cesarean and wanting to stay home was the right choice. And I should have done it the first time around. So from there, I, I joined a Facebook group that was recommended to me. And I looked around for a little bit and I sought stuff out. And then I started doing my research on 
I guess, extended birth stuff, like going beyond what you learn in a, a birth class. My husband was on board the whole time. He actually was telling me today that if I hadn't known my stuff and made him feel comfortable, he wouldn't have been comfortable. So he trusted me explicitly to make this decision and know how safe it was. And that's okay because it, it really was my body, my birth. So I'm just happy that he was really supportive of me. And really everything went great. I remember doing brewer's diet for um, my last birth also because I wanted to make sure that pre wouldn't be a thing again. And if it did, you know, I would have went to the nearest doctor and gotten stuff sorted out. But uh, everything went well. Uh, no swelling, no BP issues. I just uh, kind of sat through it. And my doula was behind me also. So... It was just really nice to have all that support for something that's so, I guess, I don't know the word to use for it. Like, um, man, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to say risky because it's not risky. I mean, you determine your level of it's risk. Just and not for common. me, it didn't. It's just not yes, common. like uncommon. And I don't know. It, so essentially, going past that, like I said, everything was great. I was wondering how far I was going to go this time because the last time was 42 weeks and I was getting really antsy and I was so hoping I'd go into labor sooner, which I did, but it wasn't by much. It was only by like a week. (laughs) So I went into labor at 41 plus one weeks. This was after like two days of uh, spotting and oh man, I feel like things went so differently because I chose to do mile circuit and I chose to do spinning babies actively and, um, I went into labor at nine at night and had him at five eighteen in the morning and it picked up so quickly. And I think it was just because I tried to keep him like keep off my back and keep myself moving. I remember that I want to do a water birth. And so we had our tub and everything set up and my husband like filling it and everything. And I remember getting that feeling like something was kind of like between my legs, like that bowling ball feeling that I'd never felt before. And I was like, oh, I have to get in the tub. And so I got in the tub and I think within like 30 minutes was born. And that was interesting to me because I, it's so night and day to the experience I had the first time around. And one of the things that I always found so interesting too was with my first one, I remember feeling nauseous but I never like puked and I feel like that's something that's hardly talked about in birth but then with this one even though I hadn't eaten anything I remember puking I think at least two or three times before he was actually born and that was so uncomfortable but like you don't even think about it once they're born (laughs) like it's just like oh my god you're here and he he was perfect honestly I it was so nice to finally be able to like have that time with my baby and like no one's messing with you no one's touching and he was just so perfect like I can't even tell you how beautiful that moment was for me because it's hard to even explain and for such a like night and day experience it was just the best thing that's ever happened to me and to have like be surrounded by love and support and people that aren't like doubting you or putting unnecessary pressure on you to do like to stay in bed or to you know, like no one's offering medicine to you. Like I actually just had my experience. It was me and the labor and the baby and we were together and we were one and it was just so nice. (laughs) So yeah. And I have been doing, I guess, 
as much support as I can on the VBAC side for other moms <laughs> since then, because I feel like after my first VBAC, I didn't, I didn't feel that not responsibility, but I didn't feel like I was ready to, cause I still had a lot to process and to deal with from my first VBAC. So the fact that my second VBAC went so well, it's like, okay, there is a redeeming factor for some people. Like just because you had one bad VBAC doesn't mean your next one has to be horrific also. So yeah, I think that's it. I'm sorry if I rushed through anything. I just didn't want to, no. I don't know, get into too much. <laughs> no, you no, didn't you did rush. great. Yeah, I, I kind of want to talk, or I want you to talk a little bit more about things that you did to like really prepare for that unassisted birth and, and what you would recommend people do if that's an option that they're considering. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a fun one. Okay. So first I would start with, I think when you're first considering it, you should really sit with yourself and evaluate your own risks for your births, like past births and even possibilities for a current birth. And once you sit with yourself and if you feel in like your soul and your heart, however you want to explain it, your gut, if you feel like that's a good feeling and that it's possible, then from there, it's finding the right outlet. So for me, it was asking people who've had unassisted births, like what groups they went to for support. And uh, there's one group on Facebook that I really loved. It's not like something where they like sit there and tell you how to do everything. It's more of, hey, you should look at this resource. Or if you really have a question that you can't find the answer to, they point you in the direction of resources you can use. Um, it was also really nice to see so many like-minded women talking about like herbs and tinctures and um, delayed cord clamping or even just going full on um, lotus birth. And it was so nice to see that and experience that environment. And then from there, you just do your own independent research on birth emergencies and how often they happen and how to handle them if you can handle them, because sometimes you can't. And, you know, that's just a fact of life. There are certain things you can't handle and you're, you know, you do need to get medical attention for. And then from there, so like specific to me, one of the things I really looked up was breech birth because I've had three breech babies and I have no idea if my fifth ever flipped to breech because I wasn't seen by anyone. I did all my own prenatal care and it was just, I didn't really feel like he ever flipped, but it's possible he did. So I needed to look that up for myself and to see, okay, how is breech birth handled? And, you know, all, a lot of the time you'll see it's hands off. And so doing that research about hands off and, you know, what to look for in an emergency with a breech birth. I'm very thankful I didn't have to do that because I feel like my husband would have freaked. <laughs> um, and then I think after you do your research, then it then comes making sure you know how to handle prenatal care and learning about how to take your blood pressure, how to, um, what urine strip test strips you look for and what they like, what everything on it means. And then from there it's, um, I took my weight religiously. I took my blood pressure religiously. I had my own Doppler, lots of unassisted brothers use fetoscopes instead, but I had not even heard of that until after he was born. So uh, I used a, a Doppler and we tracked his heart tones. During birth, I wanted to track it more, but it ended up being something where we tracked it in the beginning and I got feeling. And if something felt wrong, I would have asked, but we only checked my blood pressure and my his heart rate one time throughout the eight hours because 
I didn't feel like anything was wrong. And I feel like a lot of unassisted birth, that's what it is. It's going off your intuition and how you feel. And you have to feel secure in yourself when you're going for an unassisted birth, because if you don't feel secure, that's where like the problem lies. Mm. Like you can't go into it not knowing what's going on with yourself and your baby. And I I don't know. I think that's where I'd cut that off because it goes like, I feel so much deeper than that too. (laughs) Yeah. It's a big decision. It's a very big decision and you have to, you know, you have to be prepared and you have to be prepared on all aspects. You have to be prepared for a great outcome, a not so great outcome and a bad outcome. And yeah, it's hard. Like for some, you know, but then there's some people are like, Nope, I got it. And they do, they, (laughs) they die, they dive in and they do, they just like sponge it all up and they are ready. Yeah, yeah, I right. love those. I, I love those women. I'm so serious. I've I've met a few of them, and they're just beautiful people. And I love just how they're just so solid in themselves. And I understand you can be a mom and not be solid in yourself, and that's perfectly fine. Because I mean, it took me what four births to even feel that way about myself. So mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It, you do. You have to understand and really trust yourself and trust your baby, and you have to trust that things are going to work out how you want them to. And if they don't, how to handle that, those outcomes. Yeah, but it happens. I mean, there are seriously some areas where there's not even a provider if they wanted a provider. Yep. Like they can't even get, or, you know, like the times right now that we live in, it's wild. <laughs> it's just <laughs> wild. And it's scary sometimes when you're like, oh, I, I don't, I don't know what to do. So the only thing you can do is educate yourself and prepare yourself. Speaking specifically towards uh, you back after like three or more cesareans, uh, the ICANN leader I had, she hosted a really beautiful seminar on what to do when you're going for a VBAC after three cesareans and you keep hitting dead ends. And that largely lies in knowing your rights. So if you are in a place where they're telling you, no, you can't do this. Hospital policy won't let you do this, yada, yada, yada. It's then knowing your rights and that they can't deny you care if you're in labor. They can't force a cesarean on you, but, you know, coercion is a thing and they will say and do very scary things to make you like submit to what they want. And it's knowing that you have to fight for the right, like that's terrible to say, but you have to fight for that. You have to fight for the birth that you want and, I, I I think that's interesting that how unassisted birth and that ties together because it's, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. It's just interesting. Like if you're not going unassisted, that's what you're doing essentially is you're telling doctors, no, I'm doing this and being okay with that. And that's interesting to me. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Joy, is there anything else that you wanted to say? No, I, I just want to say, you know, um, We always encourage you to do your best to find a provider that's going to support you in your feedback journey. But here's the thing. You need to be able to trust your provider. But if you can sense that your provider doesn't trust you back, there's a big disconnect there and it's going to cause a lot of problems. And we know, like I said earlier in the episode, that there are some states and some parts of the world where it's not easy or even possible to find a supportive provider. And especially now in, you know, in the COVID area where hospitals are forcing 
parents to birth alone. Like, I mean, now like husbands are allowed at least or birth partners or baby babies, fathers, or, you know, the other parent, whatever you want to call it are allowed in the hospital now. But at the beginning of this coronavirus, women were birthing alone and providers were coming in the room in hazmat suits and, and women were being forced to choose like, and, and not always making responsible decisions about their care. And so I think the thing that we really want to hit home here is we don't necessarily say, hey, if you can't pi- find a supportive provider, go have your baby by yourself. But what we do want to encourage, if finding that provider that you can trust and an interview as many providers as you need to, but if you feel like you're forced into this position between birthing in an environment that you feel is hostile or that it does not support you or give you the autonomy over your own body and birthing unassisted, you need to get busy and get educated and learn all of the things. And then, and then there's going to be more and more to learn as you learn. The more you learn, the more there is to learn about all of these things. You, you have to be diligent and you have to know um, all about different types of emergencies and how to handle them and how to react in different types of situations and really trusting your intuition and your gut instincts about what what's right and what's not right and, fo- and learning how to follow that really, really well. And then there you go. And if it feels like that's the right thing for you, then trust that. We always encourage people to trust their intuition. And if your intuition is telling you to go down that route, do it, but do it in a very prepared and educated and smart way. All right. Well, Catherine, we are so grateful to you for sharing your story with us today and being an inspiration for people um, who might choose to birth a little bit outside of the box. We always want to make sure that we are covering all types of birth scenarios and all types of birth outcomes on our podcast. We're happy to share your story with us here today, and we hope that those listening uh, learn something from you, and I think that everybody should. Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to thevbaclink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.